0: As he peers out from his tent, sitting at that table, his eyes gaze across the desolate and barren wasteland of what was ancient Hebron. Out in the distance of the landscape, he sees the smoke billowing out of that altar he had erected some time ago. His mind begins to drift of uh, of the time it's been since him and his nephew had gone separate ways. Even though they were family, they couldn't seem to work everything out, and so they split everything down the middle. You take half the money, you take half the the livestock, you take half the land, and we will just be separate. Even though he was older, even though he was the one that God had given the promise, Abram looked at one point to his nephew Lot and said, we can't keep living like this. Even though you're the only family I have, it's time for us to go separate ways. And so as they stood atop of that bluff, he looked towards the prosperous city of Sodom and says, that's the type of people that I want to go live with. All right, take your share of stuff and head eastward and I will head westward. And Abraham remembers each and every step to that new but yet at the same time different promised land. He's recounting just something that happened years ago, that good promise of God. You, Abram, will be the father of a nation. You have so many descendants. They'll outnumber the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore. But it certainly doesn't feel like it because at this point, man, all I've got is this lousy nephew and we can't even get along. His mind begins to now think and drift. He's heard the rumors about how closely Lot is living next to Sodom. Sure, they've got it going on. Sure, the, the city is bumping. But man, they are wicked people. they are vile people. they are desolate people. How is he faring in his new pace in life? It's at that moment, gentle hand reaches out and taps him on the shoulder. Abram. Just Abram. It's not Abraham yet. The promise has yet to come true. Abram, a man is here to see you. And in walks this soldier. He's disheveled, and it's clear that the time has not been well on him recently. He stands up, and they lock eyes, and he gives him this look as if to say, Well, out with it. Why are you here? And so the messenger knows, I may as well just get to the point. The war has begun. And they've taken Lot and his family captive. And as the messenger continues to talk, giving him details perhaps of his escape or how long it took to get there, all Abram could probably think of is, this is the last thing I need to deal with right now. Hasn't this little twerp taken enough from me? Half of everything, just gone poof with him. You know, no one would have blamed him if he didn't go. The accountants would probably tell him, Abram, you can't afford to go. The soldiers, looking at probably what they are stepping into. We have to make a 250-mile trek to go join a war and battle that's not ours to fight in the first place. You've got to be kidding me. No one would have blamed him if he just sent the messenger on his way. But Abram, Abram was a man of God. And men of God do things differently. He excuses the messenger and turns to his wife and says four short words. I've got to go. What would you do? I'm curious. If being obedient to God felt like, perhaps, maybe, it cost you something you didn't want to lose. Following God and lifting up his kingdom perhaps would cost you something you couldn't afford. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 14 this morning. We're going to continue in this story as we continue in this series. Genesis chapter 14, Genesis, first book of the Bible, super easy to find. um, If you have sermon notes, you can get those out, follow along with us. You can grab those where you pick up communion. You can find them on the app. It also gives you some study material throughout the week so you can be in the Word. We are in week two of this teaching series called Three Peas in a Pod in which we're looking at this idea, like what are things that just go hand in hand with being a disciple. Last week, we talked about prayer. Today, we're talking about possessions. Next week, we're gonna talk about personal study. Now, these aren't the only things we do as believers. These aren't the only things limited to following Jesus, but they definitely give us a good litmus test and start. So today, Genesis chapter 14, we're starting picking up in verse 11. Follow along with me, it says this. It says, so the four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. They went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot, his possessions since he was living in Sodom. So just real quick, at this point, a war has broken out. Five kings have teamed up together to go against four kings over one simple thing. We want what you got. We like your land better than our land. We like all the stuff that your kingdom has. We want your things. We want your stuff. We want your possessions. So we're going to team up just because we don't like you to see how much we can get. And here's Lot, kind of caught as an innocent bystander, because he chose to camp on the outskirts of the city of Sodom, him and his family, they get captured, have nothing else to do. This is how the story continues. Continue in verse 13. It says, so a man escaped and came and reported this to Abram, the Hebrew. Now, Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Ainer, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born of his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all of the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and the other people. All right, so here's what's kind of going down. Abram's at home. He's sitting pretty. He's minding his own business. This messenger comes and says, yo, Abram, they got your family. And so he kind of begins to freak out. He's like, okay, well, we got to do something. So he rallies his biker gang. He's like, all right, who's the coolest, meanest, baddest guys? All right, you, 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 you. 318 of them. He's like, all right, boys, let's saddle up. They hop on their bikes, rim, rim, rev them up, and water their camels, get ready to go. You know what I'm saying. Okay. And so then they start going. And I just imagine the trek, 250 miles is going to take quite a long time. And so they're on there, you know, they're gotten all along the way and he's leading the charge and someone comes up. Yo, Abram, hey, like this is like a sure thing, right? Nope, five kings, four kings and we're going into the middle of it. Okay, cool, cool, cool. but like we're gonna like rally some more troops along the way to kind of make sure that, 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 that we can like survive this. Nope, but we got darkness. So there's Abram, hold on one sec. You're, you're marching us into a battle. You didn't start it, you're not involved. You got this nephew who's been kind of a little punk treated you poorly, took half your stuff, half your land, and you want us to go in, find him, save him, when well, this is like a life or death, misery. are you really sure about this? And Abram, in his, in his best Vin Diesel impression, he goes, yeah, family. Do it for family. So they get to the city, right? He's, he all right, here's the plan. We're going to go over in the cover of darkness. It's going to be our friend. Remember the signal. Ha-hoo! And when you find Lot, give the signal. So they go in like Navy SEALs. They're meticulous. They're taking people out. People are freaking out. Ah, what's happening? And it's like, ah, oh, it's, it's, oh, it's the 318 biker gang of a, whatever, Abram's people. And they go in, and then all of a sudden, the rippling effect of the, ah, 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 ah. He's like, yes, my nephew. So he goes to the other side of this city, and he locks eyes with Lot, and he walks up, and he just embraces him. Mission accomplished. At this point, you're probably like, this is a cool story, but what in the world does it have to do with possessions in the first place? I'm glad you asked. Let me show you. Verse 17 continues. All right, check it out. It says, after Abram returned... From defeating Kedorlaomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheva that is, the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, interesting character. You can read about him here. You can read about him in, in, in uh, Hebrew, all that type of stuff. Anyways, okay, sidetrack. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was also a priest of the God Most High. He blessed Abram, saying, blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people, keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, with raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high creator of heaven and earth that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or a strap of sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abraham rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the man who went with me of Aner, Eshcol, Mamre, let them have their share. Let me remind you, at this point, Abram didn't have to go. He didn't have to go into battle. He didn't have to march in. He didn't have to leave what he decided, which was nothing. But Abram knew that as a man of God, that as the leader of the people of God, we do things differently than the rest of the world. Three things that I want to pull on on this this morning. Number one is that the people of God live sacrificially out of obedience to God. Go save Lot, (laughs) It was his choice. He was the one who couldn't get along with me. I was graciously letting him live in my house with my land as a part of my people. His bed, his choice, he gets to sleep in it. I don't care that he chose to go go sit so closely to the Sodomites. Man, that was his choice. He needs to deal with it. But Abram knew that the heart of God is one of love. The heart of God values grace, grace, Mercy, compassion. Sure, there's definitely righteousness and holiness and justice and wrath, but it's all under this this idea of love. See, all throughout Scripture, the people of God have always been commanded to live sacrificially, not for the benefit of themselves, but for the benefit of others. Let me give you an example. If you were to turn to the book of Leviticus, do some light reading in Leviticus. Most people think, oh, this is just like a book of rules and laws, blah, blah, blah. and I'll tell you, sure, but it is gorgeous, it is beautiful because it's God's way of saying, you want to live with me. Let me show you how every decision, every day, you can invite me into your life. In Leviticus chapter 19 is what's called the gleaning laws. And there was a rule that God put into motion to say when you harvest, you are required to leave the edges and the corners of your field for one purpose only so that those who do not have can come and eat, can come and have their full. And what that typically was for, the women who are widowed, the outcasts of society, the people who had a physical ailment who could not feed themselves, God instituted a law to say, your job is to give up some of what you have so that others may be taken care of. It requires sacrifice to live in the kingdom of God, God's way. Our main verse for uh, the text for this passage, it's rooted in Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 and 28. If you didn't grab one of our scripture memory cards, you can do that on the way out, but it says this. It says, so not so with you, this is Jesus speaking. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your Lord, sorry, no, must be your boss. Wait, that's not it. Must be the richest, oh, sorry. Must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first, be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life ransom for many. Philippians chapter two, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be held on, but he humbly gave of his life so that we could experience the newness of his love and his grace and his gospel message. Jesus never hid away from the fact of saying, you wanna be my disciple, are you sure? Let me tell you what it's gonna take. Whoever wants to find their life in me must lose it first. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Pick up their cross daily and come after me. Jesus never hid away from the fact, if you want to be in my kingdom and you want to do it well, you're going to have to live differently than the rest of the world. You're going to have to make sacrifices that everyone else perhaps might think a little bit crazy or a little bit far-fetched. Sacrifice is foundational to the kingdom of God and living God's way. And Abram knew this. 318, all right, boys, let's go, let's go, let's go. I probably can't spare 318 men, but in this, God will receive this victory. Like, think about what it might have cost Abraham if this went south. Not only was there 318 men that he probably couldn't afford to lose, not to mention all of of the, the food and the resources to keep them fed on the journey on the way up, the journey on their way back, There was time away from his family, his tribe, his business, if you will, to make sure everything is going smoothly. Oh, yeah, not to mention, if this did go south, he had just cashed in a ton of his talent, his leadership chips to say, we're going to go do this, and I know it's crazy, but trust me, God's on our side. If this went south, the dude just made a gamble of things he could not afford to lose. But as a man of God, he knew, I live sacrificially Because my God has sacrificed more than I could ever imagine. And it is his heart to bring people back into his fold and his family that matters most. Perhaps there is no greater pressure on us in this life, in our sacrificial living, than on our time, our talents, and treasure. Leads me to point number two. Is that the people of God know who it all belongs to anyways. The people of God know that when God asks Belongs to you anyways. Look at, I'm gonna put up chapter 14, verses 19 and 20. Let me show you this. It's gonna come on the screen here. This is uh, the Melchizedek, the priest said, here's this blessing. Blessed be, Abraham, by God, most high, creator. This word, Elohim. Creator, owner, source, foundation, Lord of heaven and earth. Oftentimes, I think we're quick to assume, yeah, yeah, he is Lord, creator, owner of everything in heaven, but yo, I rule this life. This earth and everything in it, that's mine to have. I just got to get as much of it as I can. No, no, no. Abraham says, this is God, Elohim, creator of everything. And his response, take a tenth. 10%, God, I know that's what you require. That goes to you. All throughout Scripture, especially the New Testament, Jesus says to his disciples, you are called to be stewards of everything that I've given to you. He doesn't say be lords, but this word steward means it belongs to someone else. But you have the responsibility to use it, not to your wishes, but to your master's. Someone else owns it. You possess it, but you need to do it the way they want things to be done. Anyone in here ever uh, get an allowance growing up? Some of you show hands, maybe. Kind of. Some of you are, like, ashamed. It's cool. It's cool. I got an allowance. And so I was the type of kid growing up where I would get my... And allowances are weird. Like, right? Like, you, you get, like, a sum of money for basically doing nothing. Right? Like, you, you know, it's like, you didn't really earn it. it was, oh, you took out the trash. Here's 20 bucks. It's like, man, this is a sweet gig. How do I get an allowance today? And so the allowance is essentially your parents giving you their money for you to learn financial responsibility, Correct? And so I was the type of kid, I would always save up my allowance because I would want to buy something big. I want to get a new video game. The new Pokemon came out or something. I don't know, whatever it is. So I would save up my allowance. And my mom knew I was always sitting pretty. I was always flush with cash. It was like 50 bucks, but I felt like a king, right? Like when you're like 12 and you got 50 bucks, you're like, man, how many cars can I buy with this? This is insane. And this one time I went out to, to dinner and my mom did the whole, like the check came and she's all like, forgot my wallet. And so she looks across the table, she says, Eric, you know? I know you're flush, okay? Okay, I know you're just sitting on stack, on stack, on stack. Do you mind just paying for, paying for dinner tonight? And we're looking at her and saying, no, it's my money. And then my mom get that look like, oh, we're going to have words when we get home. You think this is your money? You did nothing. You pet the dog and I gave you 20 bucks. Like, what do you think this is? It's the same thing with God. Everything you have in this life. But here's what happens. Everything you have is a gift, every possession. And let me remind you of things that God has given to you that sometimes I think we forget are gifts from God. The fact that you are awake and alive today, each and every day, is a gift, Every dollar that comes into your hands or into your bank account is a blessing. Your skills, your talents, your personality, that is a possession that God has given you, but hopefully to the use of his kingdom. Every time we receive something from God, God finds joy in delivering that to you. And then we're faced with one of two choices. On one hand, we can say, well, cool, God, thank you for the stuff. It's mine now. I'm going to do with it what I want. I'm going to spend my money my way. I'm going to do things, everything. That's choice one. Pretend like the gift is now yours. Or, on the other hand, you can say, God, you've been generous to me. I'm going to live open-handed with that. And hopefully, I can experience just a sliver of the joy you got when you gave it to me by being generous with that. One of two choices with everything we've been given to God. It all belongs to God anyways. That time you have, that job you work, the home you live in, the skills you've acquired, the paycheck that shows up, it's all on loan from the Father, from Elohim, from Yahweh himself. Just because we possess it doesn't mean we own it. Point number three is this, though, that the people of God are rich in God. And I want to add in, they might be rich by the world's standards, or maybe not, but people of God have always said, I am wealthy. In the cross of Christ, I am finding my richness in the grace of Jesus. It's funny, right? Abram, they, 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 they win. There's the thing with Melchizedek, and then the king of Sodom comes up and he like, gives Abram this like, godfather at offer, right? He's like, Hey, Abram, Abram, come here. And let me make you a deal. Hey, you take all of the stuff. You can have the Gabagool if you want. And what? Well, I just imagine him doing this. You can take all the this, this stuff, take all the land, just leave me the people. What do you say? You want to make a deal? He says, no. Keep your stuff. Keep your wealth. Two chapters f- earlier, you go to Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abram, gives him a promise. You will be the, the, the father of my people. And he doesn't say, oh, by the way, I'm going to make you rich because you're going to have storehouses filled with gold. You're going to be like Scrooge McDuck from DuckTales when he dives in and he's like swimming around all of his. Go- he's like, no, no, no. You're going to have so much livestock and cattle, you won't be able to brand them fast enough. No, no, no. no. I'll make you the father of many nations, my people. Your richness will be found in my promise that will deliver the people of God into an eternal relationship with me. You want it or not? See, the king of Sodom, like our world today, will try and convince you to be rich their way. You want more stuff? You want more things? You want more possessions? But Abram says, no, 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 I'm gonna be rich God's way. Not your way, not my way. I'm gonna be rich God's way. Now, the American, dare I say, the the worldly approach to wealth is build up your wealth for your kingdom, for king and queen be I, and we see all that we can get. That's what we're after. Wealth in the kingdom of God says everything you receive is a gift, and now you are called to be sacrificial, to be generous, to build up the kingdom of God and to take care of others. We've all been given a lot of blessings in this life. Have we not? Let me show you some statistics. They're going to show up on the screen here. Take about five, ten seconds. I want you to maybe, maybe think about, consider, guess what these perhaps are in reference to. Just think, you know. These are averages in the last two years of studies of, of us as Americans as a people. Ready for this? Studies say that 60% of Americans say they are too busy to enjoy life. Ever been there before? Feel like you have so much going on you can't catch a breath? We are so busy. I can't even enjoy my family. I can't even enjoy the things God has given me. We are so busy we can't even enjoy life. Ever feel that way? The average American has $6,720 in their checking account. Nope, that's not right. In investment, nope, that's not right. The average American has $6,720 in credit card debt. Three in ten will tell you they find little to no meaning or purpose in their work or career. Here's what I believe this means to me and what I see it is we have more than we've ever had in throughout history. We work more than we've ever worked. We are doing more. We have more opportunity to be on the go than ever before and yet we find ourselves even more discontent. Friends, I think what this tells me is that we don't have a wealth problem. We don't have a possession problem. We have a consumption problem because we've bought into the lie that all you need is a little bit more to be happy, right? So a little bit more, if you just had a little bit more money, right, things would be okay. If you could just find a little bit more time in your schedule, then you could really get some stuff done. If you could just get one more project done, then you would really be someone in this life. King of Sodom, like our world, will say, do you want to be rich our way? Just get more, get more, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. But Abram knew what the kingdom of God represents is, no, no, I live differently. I live sacrificially. I live generously. And when we speak about generosity here, we don't talk about it in just your money or your finances. We talk about your time and talents as well. Now, sure, I'll shoot you straight that the Bible calls us to be generous back to God and his church. Ten percent, that's God belongs to him, is called the tithe. And that ten percent keeps the lights on, pays for staff, allows us to do ministry, allows us to fund uh, missionaries and and other partners that take the gospel locally. It's, I mean, your tithe to this church gets put to really, really good use to help further the kingdom of God. But I'm also going to say something that probably a lot of pastors might shy away from because I just want to kind of want you to be generous just as a person as a disciple of Jesus and that is you have time and talents that could and probably should be used outside these church walls to make a difference in your community to make a difference in your workplace to make a difference in the world around you like just just play play play, play ball with me here for a little bit like what if you're all busy I understand but what if there was someone that you worked with that you knew was going through something. Maybe they're going through a divorce. Maybe life's really hit them hard. Maybe a spouse or somebody close to them is walking through cancer. I don't know. What if you just said, hey, can we meet just 30 minutes a week? I just want to care for you. I know you don't have a lot of time. I don't have a lot of time, but I'm going to carve out 30 minutes and give it to you. I just want you to know that somebody cares about you. Somebody loves you. Somebody's thinking about you. How can I pray for you? What if you have someone like, like in, on your street, neighborhood, close by, and the recent season's been tough on you, but you know it's been tougher on them. Hey, I'm going grocery shopping tomorrow. I wanted to know if you wanted to come along with me. Let's spend some time together. And what if you just took them along with you because perhaps maybe they're lonely, maybe they don't have a whole lot of friends, it gives them something to to check off and get done, but when you get to the checkout line, even though you might not be able to afford it, you know they can't, and you pay for their grocery bill just to say, hey, I just want you to know we care about you. Like, what would it look like to be the kinds of people where we are generous to our world and community just in the same way that God said "Glean." Leave the outskirts, leave the corners to care for other people. What would it look like to embrace this idea of sacrificial living, not just for the church, but for the world around you? How much might that change the taste of Christianity in people's mouths if we actually live this out without regard? But I get it. We all have those, those, what I call kitchen table conversations. You get to the end of the year, tax season, you look at everything, man, where did all of our money go? The calendar for the month plops down, and you're flipping through everything. It's like, phew, where did all of our time go? We didn't have time to hang out as a family or as friends. Man, where is every ounce of my day going? You ever have those feelings where you are working for your stuff more so than your stuff is working for you? Because every time we commit to something, we are committing probably some time, talent and or treasure to go along with it. And the way of the kingdom gives us a simple solution to say if you don't want to feel like your stuff has a foothold in your life, be generous live sacrificially in a way where you don't feel like you can afford to lose it. Because Jesus doesn't necessarily want your stuff. He wants to be king of your heart. He wants nothing else to sit on that throne other than himself. Abram knew and lived out what Jesus would share with his disciples a few centuries later. Mike stole my thunder. I found the passage first, but Matthew 6 again. Which Jesus said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 24 says, You can either serve two masters, either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Take out that word money, replace it with time, talent. Can't serve both God and the world's approach to time, talent, and treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I don't need to exegete that anymore. I'll let that sit with you. Let the Holy Spirit do his work in your life. But the key to the kingdom is to find that joy that we get to live open-handed with every possession that God has given to us. You don't want to feel controlled by your money. You don't want to feel like you're always living in a state of hurry or in busyness. If you're going to go from that thing to event and back around again, you have to learn how to be generous for the sake of the kingdom and the sake of others. And it comes down to this. I'll close with this thought. Is that generosity is never an accident. Like no one gets to the end of the year, honey, come here, you gotta see this. Look at this. We gave twice as much money to the church than we planned or anticipated. Wow! Can you believe that? That's insane! I was looking through my calendar. Can you believe in the past two months I've served four times the amount that I even signed up for? Who? What kind of people are we? Generosity is never an accident. Close with this story. Before I came on staff here, I was a high school pastor at a church over in Danville and when we got there, we kind of saw this need that we wanted to revamp the program and we were going to move it from Sunday mornings to Sunday nights for all of these reasons. But one of the things that was going to allow us to build community and kids who didn't have a church home would have the opportunity to find us and whatnot. But the key cog, I was convinced, is you got to have food you got to have food. If you want the kids to show up, you got to provide food. And I remember talking about this with our staff and with our elders at the time. And, and I think I went on stage one Sunday morning and said, hey, here's how all the changes we're going to make. And here's kind of the big ask is we need people to maybe sign up for shifts that you take a Sunday, you take a Sunday, you take a Sunday, and, and, and you provide the food. And then people over here, what they'll go ahead and do is they'll serve it. And so that way the burden is... And this one woman reached out to me the next day. She said, Eric, I heard the ask... I'm all in. I got it taken care of. Uh, I said, great. Can you come in and let's sit down and chat? She comes to the church. We sit down. And she says, like, hey, like, what, like what, what's the big deal? And I said, well, you know, I just want to, you know, make sure, you, you know, the, the, you, what, what day do you want? Do you want the first Sunday, last Sunday? Just want to make sure it's convenient. She goes, wait, what? That's not what I signed up for. And I was like, oh, gosh. Dick, Eric, you're going to scare the food away. I said, oh no, like I just, you know, like just want to find a day that, that's convenient. Does it, does it take too much time away from you? Isn't so much of a burden. You know, maybe if it's not once a month, maybe once every other month, or every six weeks, she goes, oh no, no, you misunderstood me. She said, I know what you want, I see the vision, I get what you're after. She says, when I said I've got it covered, I meant I've got it covered. Every single week, I will pay for the food, make the food, serve the food. that food was dope every single week this woman out of her own time this talent to serve people with the gift of hospitality because she knew that it was going to build up others she never asked for anything in return we tried to pay her back she said no for years, And that group grew and grew and grew. At one point, we had an event that had over 250 high schoolers there. She paid and served each and every one of them. Because she looked at me in one decision. She said, Eric, Sunday night is the time in which I have some time. This is a talent and gift of mine to make really, really yummy food. And it was fire. And I believe God wants me to do this. There was a need, time, talent, treasure. So what about you? What if being obedient to God was going to maybe cost you something you couldn't feel like you could afford to lose? Would you still take that step in faithfulness? You ever wonder what it looks like to give to this church We'd love to talk with you. You can find the give and respond boxes across the room. If you want to do cash check, you can give on the app It's safe, secure, all that good stuff. But more importantly, I want to pressure you, not maybe towards that, but I want to pressure you to say, who in your life could you be generous for and live sacrificially for to show them God's love? Who in your life might you have an opportunity before you if you just took a little bit of time? If you took a little bit of that talent of yours, perhaps just a small amount of your treasure to show them I am serving, I am giving you no strings attached because God has first given me everything I need. I believe his promise that his kingdom waits for me. What would it look like to be that type of church, to live out that type of generosity? Let's pray. We're gonna continue to worship this morning. Heavenly Father, you are so good. We are here because you have given us new life, We did nothing to earn it. We did nothing to deserve it. In fact, sometimes we probably just make it worse. And your grace and love overcomes and overpowers all the more. God, thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray this morning that if the spirit is speaking to us, tugging on that time, that talent, that treasure in our life, that we would listen, that we would trust, that we would obey. Make us generous people, not for the sake of these walls, not for the sake of the name first, but for the sake of the name of you, creator, Elohim, Yahweh, Lord of our lives. May we find what it means for us as individuals to be generous with our time, our talents, and certainly our treasure for your glory and your glory alone. Lord, as we continue to sing in worship this morning, may we do so knowing that we love you because you first loved us and may we give because you've given us everything that we could ever think or imagine through the gift of your son, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Make us obedient to your word and to you. It's your name that we pray.